Happy versus Flourishing, episode 22. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas and small little ways you can improve different areas of your life. Today's guest is Kim Hamer, and she made the journey from um, where she grew up in Melbourne and Australia to move into London a few years ago and without any clear path of what exactly she was going to do and how she transformed her life from from living in Melbourne to moving to London. So we're going to hear from Kim very soon. If you do like this podcast, why not subscribe to it so you get it on a regular basis when it's released every Tuesday lunchtime and maybe leave a review so other people know your thoughts about this show. Hope you do like it and here is Kim. Happy versus flourishing, and my guest today, Kim Hamer. How are you, Kim? I'm really well, Tony. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. And I think your accent betrays where you actually are. Well, I am actually in London, but my accent is Australian. You're, you're right. I'm I'm a bit confused about all of that, but I've been in London for 17 years, so. And yet your accent is still quite strong. Exactly. So I'm told. So I'm told by everybody who speaks to me. <laughs> and where, where in Australia are you originally from? I'm from Melbourne. Uh, so I've been watching with um, a fair bit of interest over, the, you know, this last little period when they've been sort of in and out of lockdowns and all, all of that sort of thing. But um, mm. luckily they're all um, out and about and, and all my family's well and things like that. Happy and flourishing, we could say. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so um, unfortunately, you know, it's been a long time between visits, but 2021, mm. let's and see. For, can you tell the audience what is, what is it that you do? Yes. Uh, where do I start? So I'm a, I'm a business coach. Uh, I'm a, a marketer at heart. And my business uh, works on um, a building brand new methodology. That's my, my, my key program and, and what I talk about. And what I do is help people and businesses to unlock their greatest asset, which is really ourselves. Um, so all of my work uh, is really around that. Um, some, with individuals, it's really around visibility and owning who you are and um, branding and, and applying some of those marketing principles that I learned over the 28 years of a senior marketing career. How do you convert them into something that's really useful and practical for your own purposes or, or um, within your business or career? And so when did you start to do these, do you do, is it one-to-one coaching or you work in corporate or how, how is it? It's a bit of a combination. Uh, the Building Brand You um, philosophy is about um, one-to-one coaching um, and has been, but I'm currently working on um, a number of different opportunities to take that into a more corporate environment. Uh, so I have, a, uh, apart from my, my coaching business, which is called Artemis Futures, uh, I have uh, a second business interest uh, with two business partners in the Middle East. So that is the Customer Experience and Service Association. And part of the Building Brand New philosophy extends into how you build um, great branded company cultures. So we are also developing um, some opportunities to take the Building Brand New philosophy into um, bigger businesses and corporates. You mentioned about the 20, was it 28 years marketing and what, what sort of things were you doing there? Yeah, so um, was it was a bit of a career split by two halves, actually. So I spent uh, the first 10 years or so of my career, maybe a little bit more, in Australia, and that was predominantly working in, I guess, more traditional marketing roles uh, in uh, fast-moving consumer goods. So I worked for, you know, for... Uh, for uh, food and, and beverage businesses. I worked um, for a cleaning products business. So a lot of my interactions were what we would um, talk about, you know, with, with the, the big supermarkets and, and those sorts of things. Um, when I moved to the UK, one of the challenges was that it felt like everything I'd done in Australia, I was told, well, you haven't done it here. So, you know, mm. you've got to start from scratch, which was a bit disheartening. But um I got into some business-to-business type roles and I fell in love with business-to-business. I love that relationship that happens when you um, look at the whole, I guess, the the whole value chain and all the partnerships that need to go on 
um, mm. through the value chain in order to deliver something great uh, to the customer. So um, I've worked in uh, tea, I've worked in airline retail, I've worked in digital media. Uh, my last proper job was um, six years for a global um, packaging company where I led on um, product strategy, innovation and customer collaboration with customers like Red Bull and Heineken and um, Coca-Cola, people like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And then um, I uh, sort of was offered a, a package. We were bought out um, by our competitor and I decided to take the package rather than go with them. Took um, a year off and then thought, hmm, I don't know that there's a Kim-shaped box in corporate anymore. Might have to go and build my own. And mm-hmm. here I am. And how easy or difficult was that? Wow. Um, I think what was interesting is that it took me a while to have the aha moment about mm. uh, the Kim-shaped box. You know, I, I decided to have a gap year um, and something I'd never done before. I didn't do that when I finished uni. So I had this gap year and sort of came back in refreshed and, and ready to go back into a corporate role. And, you know, senior roles take some time and you want to get the right fit. So it was about nine months um, and I had this particular interview for a charity out in um in west london and lovely charity um great people and i'd been for the the final interview and it was down to two of us and when the recruiter rang me she told me that they decided to go with the other candidate and i remember sitting on the phone and listening to her and thinking why am i not disappointed you know i was saying all the right things you know i you know sorry to hear that but you know deep inside i kind of thought i'm not that I'm not that bothered, if that makes sense. And it was in that moment I I just had this blinding flash of I've been looking for a Kim-shaped box in all of this job search and and probably, you know, through the last few years of my career, and it just doesn't exist out there in the way I want it. So, and it was about a nine-month realisation of doing that. Uh, That was in September. By January the 1st, I opened my coaching practice. So the decision was quick and the activation is quick but nothing um i think builds your resilience faster than going from corporate to becoming an an entrepreneur and realizing that you might have Mm. some skills but there's a whole lot of new stuff you need to Mm. learn about yourself and about being an entrepreneur so yeah so that's ups and downs and was it once you actually started doing it um how did you find it was it really tough or um yeah it was I think that the the biggest challenge was trying to, I think, identify what I was about in terms of, mm. you know, the types of people I wanted to work with. You know, I'm mm. a I'm a marketer by training. I have a psychology degree and a marketing degree, and that's really where I've played most of my career. But I've I've tended to do things in a bit more of a broader sense. So I've, you know, I've led business units, I've led business turnarounds, I've run sales teams, I've led customer innovation collaboration teams. I've been the person that's, you know, they've said, we've got this idea to, to do something, can you start it up? So I had all these other skills, which is uh, why uh, when I work with uh, businesses and, and, and individuals, solopreneurs, um, they get the benefit of wider business skills because that's where all the strategy and the thinking about how to operationalize that strategy in business comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you talk to people about, well, I'm a business coach, it's a bit broad. They kind of go, well, that's lovely. But it's not very specific about answering a need that people mm-hmm. have. And, yeah, and I didn't want to just be another marketing coach or another marketing consultant because, you know, there's so many business coaches, so many marketing coaches and consultants out there I thought well what's what's different about me what's my unique edge my unique selling proposition mm. and at the start of uh, sort of at the end of last year I you know I'd, I'd had some 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 good success but there's a lot of seeding you have to do a lot of showcases that you do a lot of pro bono stuff that you do because what you're trying to do is build credibility and to actually have other people talk about why you're good rather than you just go out and say, I'm really good, you should hire me. Mm-hmm. And I started playing around with this building brand new proposition at the end of last year. Uh, it, it was something that had emerged as I'd been doing this pro bono work uh, and some of the, the early um, paid projects that I had. And as I developed it, 
the pandemic hit in March and mm. what I was hearing was people felt invisible. They just felt invisible. And I thought, you know, that's what building brand you is about. It's about tapping into what you have and learning how to harness that so that you you stop feeling invisible. You become visible. You become credible. Um, you have influence. And, and all of those things apply in business, which is where I, I coach and practice. But they're, they're bigger things in life as well, I think. Mm. So, yeah, it's been um, – we hate the J word, don't we? You know, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, but as a result, this year – um, you know, I've, I've kind of grown into that and, uh, that has been my key proposition. And what's really interesting is after the first few, few months, now it's a proposition that attracts people to me. So why I, while I do business development and, and, and reach out to people, um, a lot of my business actually comes to me as well, um, as a result of that, like, that proposition. So it's been, it's been a learning. I'm still learning. Um, <laughs> there'll be lots of ups and downs still to come. Um, mm. But I have to say there's a uh, – I feel like I know exactly what it is I want to offer and there's mm. a real freedom and joy in being able to do that as part of my work. And so before if um, – I'm just wondering how you were looking to develop. So if this – uh, pandemic situation hadn't have happened do you think you'd have been traveling far more or or, or what mm, yeah I think I would have so uh, my, the second business I'm involved in um, customer experience and service association our first uh, location uh, that we've set up in is the Middle East in Dubai and mm. we originally had plans to launch with a live conference back in March four-day live conference back in March and of course the pandemic hit and put paid to that uh, so one, you know, there's, there's just that direct impact, but, but also, um, you know, we've been, we did launch the business, obviously we did a four day virtual conference in October, um, which was, um, fantastically well received. We built an online portal, which I don't know that we would have done quite so quickly had the pandemic not happened and we were all forced to go, okay, how do we deliver value to mm. this community? Um, but you know, we've also had um, advisory opportunities through that business. And my two business partners are currently out in um, in Riyadh at the moment working with um, a major institution out there on a project over December and January. Um, mm. Now, they've, they've travelled, but I've also been quite careful about how much travelling I do. So, mm. you know, we're having to make decisions around who travels, um, what does that mean? So I would have been out more in that region. Uh, mm. I also have another client I work with who has clients um, in other parts of the world and we've had conversations about, well, you know, when we're allowed out again, it would be great if you could come and do some face-to-face work with clients. So, you know, that they were some of the, the opportunities but that just hasn't happened and I've, I've just, I guess, made the, the best of the, the situation. It's made me think differently about how mm. I connect with mm. clients so you, you were talking about the I, I guess the, the different way you've had to go about working because of the pandemic and mm. doing more stuff online as indeed most of the world has this year mm. and so do you think that will change the way you like say for example the pandemic finished tomorrow which obviously it's not going to but if it if everything was back to normal would you change the way you you work or how do you see, see things going in the future? Yeah, it's a really good question because when before the pandemic hit, I had I was working on, um, you know, sort of several different streams, if you like, in the business. So I was starting to look, you know, at do I build a, a you know, how could I build a, a speaker speaking income mm. um, and that sort of thing. Then I was also looking at more workshop type uh, type models and when the pandemic hit I, I just thought you know what that just has to go on the back burner for mm. now if I had have been further along one or two of those paths I may have been in a better position to convert them into the virtual world but as I was just starting I thought okay let's go with what you know what mm. you already have and see what you can do to convert them into virtual so I think that's mm. the first thing um 
And what I've learned out of the uh, out of the you know nine months I've been sitting in my living room uh, <laughs> is that I really enjoy that the solitude of working in my own space mm. and while I while I am looking forward to sort of getting out again and doing some face-to-face stuff I'm not as wedded to it anymore you know I've mm. really reassessed the priority of you know building a speaking career for example and I, mm. I think there's other opportunities that are more in line I think with with my temperament, it's not so much about the opportunity itself, but it's about thinking about how have I really enjoyed working this year? What have been the challenges? Uh, you know, a great example is um, I talk to my, my two business partners quite a lot because they're quite different, and one of them has really struggled in the pandemic with with the lockdown uh, mm-hmm. because he's quite he's quite social. Um, he he feels he's gotten quite lonely, um, and we laugh at him because when we have you know calls, we go, "We think you're just making this longer because you're lonely," and he just laughs and says yes. Whereas I'm really happy on my own, I can go for a few days without speaking to anybody quite happily, although that's a rarity. So it's made us be really open about uh, how we connect. I get quite drained with lot with lots of either face-to-face or, or even um, online face-to-face connection. Um, mm-hmm. That's just something temperamentally I've always been quite energetic energetic about it but it does drain me afterwards and after the four-day conference we had online I said Mm. I'm not going to speak to anybody for three Mm. whole days I'm just Mm. hibernating so I think it's really interesting when you're forced to reassess yeah where you thrive Mm. um how how about your quality of life how how has that changed I think my quality of life's actually improved uh, apart from the fact that um, I, I guess that the traveling thing has has been tough uh, because I haven't been able to go and see family. Uh, I did mm. see them sort of in the last time was August last year. Um, I did have a trip to go and see a very very close friend uh, in November in the states, but you know th- that had to be cancelled. And that that is really disappointing because while I don't connect often, those those physical times uh, really mattered to me, um, mm. sort of really buoy me up. But but aside from that, I think my quality of life's improved. I feel like quite really energised and focused. Uh, I feel like I've gotten sort of a bit more balance about all the different elements I need in life. So we talk about, you know, the name of the podcast is Happy and Flourishing. And mm. this period has been up and down, but it's forced me to look at when I'm not thriving or flourishing, what is it that's missing? And I've had, you know, not huge amounts of time, but because it hasn't been all outward stuff, I've been mm-hmm. able to think and go, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'm, I'm finding that I'm not coping with that or I'm stressed about that or I'm not sleeping. What is it that's missing? What do I need to rebalance? And, um, that's been that's been a really helpful exercise and a, and a really energizing exercise. Actually, I felt very empowered, I guess, by the opportunity to do that. And what do you I mean? Do you sort of get out much in like sort of doing just get out in nature, or I mean, how have you coped? Mm. With it? That's mm. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I am an absolute nutter about is reading, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I mean reading in all forms, but particularly um, putting aside time for myself to mm-hmm. read whatever I want. So I do a lot of business reading and, and growth reading, if you like, but sometimes mm-hmm. you just want to get stuck into a really good book mm-hmm. and be left alone. And yeah. uh, every couple of weeks, um, when we were allowed to go out and eat out, what I would do is it's like making a date with yourself. So mm. I would go and sit in a cafe and order a nice lunch and just read for a couple of hours. If I can't go out, I will do that at home. In the warmer months, I would sit out on the patio. I have a lovely um, 
back patio. In the winter months, it's not quite so appealing to sit outside, mm-hmm. but I do sit in the house. Nature's been a, a, an interesting one because I'm not – that's not – it's sort of not a habit of mine. It's I don't feel myself being driven to, to get outside and, and have a walk, and that, that's probably a missing for me, not, not in a bad way, but just something about getting out of the house every day and things like that. Um, so that's probably a little piece to look at. Um, but apart from that, um, you know, I, every morning I've restructured my morning so that the first hour is all about putting four essential ingredients in. So I meditate, then I do, um, exercise for 15 minutes. Then I will, um, write my three daily gratitudes and then I will do whatever business or personal development reading I'm doing. So that's my first hour of every day. So I'm just wondering there from what you were saying then. So you've, are your habits are quite important to you? Have you developed habits that really work for you and that you try to do on a daily basis or whatever it might be? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, it's actually one of the things um, I, I coach a lot mm. about is about when you're building a new habit, often what people do and we, you know, we're coming up to the new year. So mm. here come the new year's mm-hmm. resolution things, but we have all these grand plans and we kind of think, Oh, I need to, you know, like transform this area of my life. And I always say, well, when you go to the gym, you, you don't get fit mm. straight away. You, you turn up, you wander around a bit. You don't know really what's going to be the most benefit for you. You don't always know how to work machines or do things properly. So you ask for help. And the first time you go, you feel a bit mm. incompetent and stupid mm. about it. Um, and like you can't do anything. And then afterwards yeah. it hurts. The muscles hurt. Um, and that might be a really small thing. And I say, and what we're doing is building a muscle. So don't build yourself. And this is something I take on. Don't build yourself the Taj Mahal mm-hmm. to complete. Like for me, when I restructured this morning, I already was in the habit of gratitude Mm. journaling every morning. And I was in the habit of reading at lunchtime, so I just brought Mm. that forward. And then what I said was, okay, um, I've not meditated for a couple of, you know, a couple of years. It used to be a regular practice. Why don't Mm. I bring that in? Um, And it's only 10 Mm. minutes, you know, and I just sit there Mm. for 10 minutes and sometimes my monkey mind goes off on one. But they were small Mm. changes, and I just I have a um, a work plan on my pinboard where I where I sit every day, and I have a box every day that when I was developing that new habit, I had to mark off the box every day. Um, so it made me build the new habit and build the new muscle. So I think that's that's something um, I do a lot, and I coach my clients on. And it's really been helpful just thinking about small mm. things, just one small thing you can change and then get that habit in place. And how do you, do any of your clients sort of struggle trying to implement new habits? Oh, yeah, that's why they have a coach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the things, you know, um, my coach always says to me as well is coaching is not just about um, – you know, someone with the, the information and the, and the wisdom, I guess, and the experience, a coach is your accountability mm. partner. So they're the one that holds your feet to the fire and goes, okay, well, what do you, with my clients, I always have sort of an, like a to-do list at the end. It might only be mm. one thing, but I take a note of whatever mm. that is. And then when we have our next session, I will go back and say, so how did you get mm. on with that? Tell me about that. And, and if they haven't, I'll, you know, I'll listen for why. Sometimes um, it's a bit of bit more of me holding the feet to the fire. Sometimes there's there's a barrier like a fear or a um, a concern, and we unpick that and then move forward as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if we all had habits nailed and felt, you know, we were we were done and sorted in life, you know, we wouldn't need coaches, would we? We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have the multi-billion dollar you know self-help mm. industry in place yeah. would we what what is your what aspect of coaching do you find most enjoyable oh i i love the breakthrough moments the the thing for me is is helping people to understand what they're capable mm. of 
and the, and that that it's all within themselves. So I'm a I call myself a capability builder, whatever that is in business, in your personal life. So what what I love is when I might get on a, on a call with a client and talk to them about their last week, and they'll tell me about something they took mm. on that really shifted mm. something for them. It, it, it is so rewarding. I was coaching a client um, for, oh, it was about 16 weeks this year uh, through some back-to-work challenges and mm. that sort of thing. Now, she's come through the end of it and has completely reconfigured how she thinks about her life and what she wants to do and has let go of some stuff that really wasn't mm. serving her. Um, but she, when she wrote me um, a testimonial, she called the coaching life-changing mm. and she actually wrote me a poem to wow. say thank you. And and in that, like I was so moved and so mm. humbled that, that I had that yeah. impact and that's mm. the thing. That's the thing. She'll go off and do what she does mm. in life. Yeah. You, you, you referred to a little while ago about that you read a lot and, and many different types of books. So I'm wondering, so obviously mm. books is, you, you, you know the value and power of books. Have you ever thought about writing a book yourself? Uh, yes, I have, um, uh, several times. And I th- there's a there's a discipline thing. I started actually before the pandemic, I was 13,000 words mm. into a book uh, that I was writing. Uh, it was one of my goals. But when the pandemic hit, I thought, you know what, there's an imperative when the options get tight to make sure you can pay the bills and pay your rent and, you know, eat, you know, I like to eat. So I shifted my focus into more immediate income generating stuff. You know, there's only 24 hours in the day. So I, I, you know, I had to make that call. So it's all still sitting there. I think there's probably a reshaping of it. It was, the book was about building brand new, but I think there's a reshaping of that that's potentially there. So project for 2021, maybe we should talk this time next year and um, see you can hold my feet to the fire on that. Um, but I did contribute a chapter to uh, a book that was launched in November called Mastering the Game mm. of Life. And in it, I wrote about uh, that visibility is so much more than just mm. being seen. And uh, it, it's really my story of of coming out of uh, corporate life, uh, you know, the age I was facing some 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 real challenges about about how how much of life I still had ahead of me and how was I going to fill it? Maybe it was my midlife crisis moment. So, you know, that was Mastering the Game of Life. It is available um, on Amazon so you can just – people can, can Google that. There are 22 different mm-hmm. stories in that from authors all over the world, with all with very, very different perspectives, some personal stories, some are more sort of tools you can use. So um, – and that it was a – it was a great opportunity, mm-hmm. I think. It was a good way of harnessing what little time I had into, you know, providing a story in the world. So it, it has whet my appetite um, to get stuck in and do my own thing. And when you you talked about the, the books that you read, and, again, there being a wide variety, some are business and some are, I don't know, what, drama or thriller or fiction, whatever, do you have to stop yourself getting too many ideas from, from oh, I could do this, or I could do this, or I could do or, you know, how, how are you when you read those kind of books? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question because particularly I think last year when I was sort of new in my own business space and trying to work out what, what my proposition mm. was, there was definitely a part of that. You know, I also, you know, I have um, – you know, coaching. Um, I work with a number of different coaches, and I think that's really important to um, be a product mm-hmm. of your product. If I say I'm a business mm-hmm. coach, I also work with business coaches yeah. on my business. You know, so I was getting input from that, and then input from. And there was a point I kind of went, I have to stop mm-hmm. the input. I have so much stuff, and I am so confused about what I should yeah. do. And when I I think when I really started to land on the building brand you proposition, that helped. But before that, there was some things I went, okay, I'm not going to do everything, but I'm going to choose two or three things. So one of the things I took on from one of my coaches was a 30 videos in 30 days Mm -hmm. challenge. 
Uh, now, he had said, uh, if you're going to, you know, you're, you're in marketing for a start, but video is the way forward. YouTube is the second biggest search engine mm-hmm. after Google and, and people are looking for different types of connection now. So, you, you know, there was a group of us and he said, I'm, I'm setting you up for a 30 videos in 30 days challenge. And I actually did that challenge, uh, in, uh, 2018. And, and when I completed it, one, there was a sense of triumph that I'd done it. But secondly, it was, it, it just shifted how I thought about video. And now it's become a really easy tool for me to use. Um, so it was about focusing and making sure I completed something. When it was building brand new, now when I read, uh, I will, I have my phone beside me, but it's more about uh, recording notes in Evernote or something like that. Uh, when I read something and I go, that's a really interesting perspective, I don't sort of take it on there and there. I record it and then every sort of few weeks, I will just run through all the notes I've taken from, you know, all the photos I've taken from books I've read and stuff like that. And not everything will be relevant, but because I've got a clearer proposition, uh, it I, I start to see very clearly there's six, six things that could work, but actually what I'm going to do is focus on, the, on these next three things for the next month and get those done. So... Um, yeah, it is. It's tough when you're. I think when you're new, you're or you're not clear of your proposition. But it is about choosing and sticking with the choice. And when you said about the the thirty videos in thirty days, so I'm presuming were they sort of like just short, little, punchy videos, or, or what was it? Well, there was a range. <laughs> when I, it's interesting. When I started, um, I've, I've sorry. If I go back and say. When I started, I did them personally. I didn't do any fancy lighting or anything like that. I did it on my phone. I did it wherever I was in the house or the park. And I I didn't know what to say. I planned a couple of them and thought, what will I talk about? But there were days I, you know, I was dreading mm-hmm. doing it because I thought, I don't even know what to say. So the first probably maybe six or seven days the first Mm. week was just about getting my face on the camera and talking, just getting used to that, not, not putting any other pressure on myself. So building that muscle. Well, I didn't have to, but I chose to. So the group that um, I was in um, when this coach set us the challenge I made a commitment to them that I would post every video every day in that group. And I tell you, it was such a powerful accountability because there, there was one day I remember in particular, I was really struggling. I was, I was really down and I did not want to post. I felt I had nothing to say. Um, and I didn't want to put my kind of, you know, sad face on video, if that makes sense. And I thought, no, I told them I would. I told them I would. So I went and sat in the back garden. You know, I was, I think I was in a gym t-shirt and, you know, not great hair and all that. And I just sat in front of the phone and talked and said, I don't, I don't really want to do this today, but I promised you I would. So here I am. And I, you know, I talked for a couple of minutes about that I was really struggling and, you know, was was in a bit of a, a difficult place and then posted it. And what was interesting is that it was a it was a breakthrough in just doing it, just because I said. The second thing was it was one of my most popular videos because people said we all go through that and we really related to you sitting in front of the camera and going, I just I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to. So um, that was that was tough. Um, again, those first seven days were short videos, maybe three, four minutes not too structured then I you know got over the fact I thought I looked funny and sounded funny and ummed all the time (laughs) and I couldn't stop myself from talking there are some there that are like 15 minutes and I try started to try different Mm. things um now I'm a bit of an advocate of let's not go more than three Mm. or four minutes as a snippet but um 
Yeah. That was two years ago and I continue to grow and learn stuff about how to do it. So so. it sounds like that process taught you a lot. Mm, It did. It did. I mean, there's the practical skills. I think you learn about how to look reasonable on video and you start to not get critical about what you see of other people but you start to notice other people and kind of sometimes it'll be like oh that looks a bit weird I wonder whether I do that so you you self-evaluate but the other thing is you see what works uh what works really well and go oh I hadn't thought about that Mm. before um being part of the uh, Professional Speaking Association here in the UK has been really useful mm. for that because I'm around professional speakers all the time and they just have it's little bits of nuggets here mm. and there. You know, don't – on a Zoom call, I just did a, a podcast on um, on are you being seen on screen referencing the Zoom mm. call. And one of the tips I said, which people came back and said I'd never thought about like that before, was – uh, don't light yourself from behind because otherwise you come across like a creepy, you know, criminal person that's being interviewed on one of those those programs and you can't mm-hmm. see their face. I said you need to be lit from sort of the side and 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 make sure that people can actually mm-hmm. see your face. And everybody said I never thought about mm-hmm. that before, and I thought, well, I did. <laughs> so I think there's the practical skills, but. I can't say specifically what I learned, but there's something about breaking through stuff like that that teaches you that you're more capable than mm. you think, that you're better at things than so, you think. So say, for example, um, in the next couple of months you decided, right, I'm going to implement this new service in my business. Do you think now you'd be much more likely to use video as a tool to get that out there or, or what? Definitely, definitely. Um, one of the things um, I'm currently working on is um, an on-demand building brand new mm. program. And before it would have been much more written and slide-driven, uh, slide PowerPoint-driven. But now uh, once I build the, the frame uh, into LearnDash, which is the tool I'll be using, is, is what I'll be doing is snippet mm. videos. So it will be supporting material, but actually videos or audios over slides. Uh, and they'll be short and, yeah, and I can see how much easier it is. Uh, the other thing I think I've learned that really helps, and, and, you know, we were talking about this off air, is using tools like transcription, automatic transcription, uh, and repurposing the content that you have. So if I'm doing a video, I can translate it into a, an audio for a podcast. I can get a transcription and write it as an article. I can, you know, do social media quotes and sound bites, all that sort of thing. So you do something once and then you extract lots mm. of value. Mm. Do you see yourself, I mean, you, you've been here, what was it 17 years? I forget what you said. Now. Yeah, almost can 17 you, do years. Do you see yourself ever? relocate into another country or maybe going back to us or do you think you'll be staying in the UK? Yeah, I, I, I really don't know. I, I love living in the UK. I actually hold dual citizenship uh, now. Uh, I love going back to Australia. There may come a time in, in my life where I, I do want to move back, but right now it just feels very isolated. Mm. I love the way that being uh, in, in London I always said to people, it feels like I've moved to the centre of the world, like you're mm. impacted by stuff going on in the world, whereas in Australia I didn't always feel like that. Um, and I love my life here, but that's not to say that some shift or opportunity in life might might say, okay, well, maybe it's time for mm. something else. And the, the interesting thing is is that I think once you've done it mm. once, all of a sudden you go, actually, I could do that again. I, you know, I moved to London. It was a very quick decision back in 2003 I decided at the end of the year and I was here at the end of January and it was it was really tough at first but I built a really happy life I learned a lot about myself I feel really fulfilled who's to say I couldn't do that somewhere else and it is that that 
once you broke through that initial fear, it's it's actually far easier. I think. I mean, I've done it a number of times, and to me, it's. It, it, it's I wouldn't think twice about it because I've done it so many times. But for so many people to tell me, "Oh, you must have been really brave," and I think, well, it's it's actually nowhere near as difficult as you think it is. Yeah, I, it, it's really interesting you say that, Tony, because I think that comes up a lot. People kind of look at, you know, what we do and who we are and, and they see, oh, you do all these brave things. And you kind of go, well, yeah, there, there may be things that we don't think twice about anymore, but there are still things that, that scare the bejesus out of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, I remember pitching my first price. You know, I was standing in a workshop and I was pitching my first, you know, pay for me to do something for you. I thought I was going to be sick. I'd never really had to do that for myself. I'd done it Mm. in business. But once I'd done it once, I remember a friend kind of celebrating with me afterwards and going, you've done it, you've done the first one. Um, and, And sometimes it's just, it is taking just that little courage yeah. in your hands and making just a small yeah. first step. Well, and, and that's, that is the thing, isn't it? And so many people don't ever get anywhere close to taking that first step. And then they just think, go through their mm. life maybe thinking, wow, that's just too difficult. I couldn't do that. But, but if they'd have, or maybe if they'd have had help from, from someone such as yourself, it would have been much easier mm. to make that step, which they thought was impossible. Yeah, and and that's what I that's what I love. You uh, you 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 talked earlier about um, what I love about mm. coaching, and that is mm. the thing I love about coaching is is getting people to the point of starting to ask them to say to themselves, mm. "Why not?" Instead of "Why should I I do that?" and saying that fear mm. is normal, just but just make a just it only has to be a small mm. step. What what. You know, what I would say to everybody who's, who's listening is, you know, what's the small step you could take mm-hmm. today? What's the small thing you could do tomorrow? What, you, you know, that, that is how mm-hmm. we grow. And, and growing is painful. They're not called growing pains yeah. for nothing. But um, you're well, right. In, in the sort of people you've been coaching over the, you know, in, since you've been doing coaching, is there a, what would you say is the most recurrent theme that comes up or the most sort of the issue that people struggle with the most? So procrastination is probably the, the biggest challenge. And I think it's – so procrastination is the big word mm. for it, I guess. And what I do is is help my clients to unpick what's in the way of them doing that. And – I've had clients talk to me about, uh, it's a bit of a controversial one, this, uh, I have imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. And I will say to them, well, you don't actually have imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is a conversation you're having in your head. And it's not, I'm not downplaying how, how serious or impactful it can be mm-hmm. on our lives. But you don't have it like an illness. You, th- this is a thing that we can start to shift the conversation mm-hmm around so for some people it's that for some people it's uh too busy with lots of ideas a bit like you know shiny penny Mm. syndrome oh i could do all these things i could do all these things and then it just occurs like a big too much to do and Mm. they do nothing so for uh, for other people it's about taking that make having them choose and sometimes part of the coaching is we'll be going from week to week or conversation to conversation and what they will be talking about is, uh, oh, you know, I did this thing, but I saw this and I saw this. And part of my role is to hold them accountable to the three things they said mm. they do. It doesn't. It almost doesn't matter what those three things are, but it's about the, the building the muscle of yeah. choosing and doing mm. what you say, just choosing and following up, choosing and taking the steps necessary, because we we have so much choice. And as you referred to earlier. Um, you know, there's a lot of inputs out there. I do a lot of reading. I have business coaches. Uh, you know, you and I are speakers. So, we're, you know, we're, we're getting input from mm. everywhere. And there are ideas all over the place. And sometimes it's just a matter of going, okay, mm. stop. Just stop. Let me just recalibrate a bit and mm. choose. What are the things I'm going to grow? What are the things I'm going to mm. take forward? 
Well, Kim, if people uh, want to find out more about you, where where is your website and so on? Well, I, I, it's an interesting question, Tony. I have one of these amazing names that is unusual spelling and is easy to right. Google. And what I will do um, if people want to grab a pen and paper or put a note on your phone if you're interested in following me somewhere is I will spell it and then you can choose, you can just Google me and choose whatever platform you want. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on YouTube. Um, you'll find me on, on Google easily. So the way to spell my name is Kim with a Y, K-Y-M, and my surname is Hamer, H-A-M-E-R. So if you pop that into Google, um, I'm very active on social media accounts. Uh, my website will come up, so you can actually choose where you where you'd like to engage with me. What's the best platform? And I'm just wondering, you mentioned about your YouTube channel there. In those that 30 day challenge, did you put any of those videos on YouTube? They're all there. Yeah, yeah. So maybe uh, maybe Tony, we can. I'm I'm happy to give you the link for that, and people can actually see how truly dreadful. <laughs> I was at the start, and maybe you can take on watching one of my 30 <laughs> videos every day, and that can be your muscle builder. <laughs> I will certainly put that link in the, in the show notes, yeah, so people can um, oh, Brilliant. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. <laughs> so is there, um, is there a book that you would recommend to listeners? Yes, there is, and it's one I recommend to a lot of my coaching clients, actually, and it's something that that really solidified this whole taking small steps and building the muscle. And it's a book called The Slight mm. Edge by Jeff Olson. And the reason I love it is there's lots of books out there that talk about, you know, new habits and forming new habits and that sort of thing. What I love about The Slight Edge is it also looks at, at the when I say that the bad habits, so why we reach for the second donut. You know, why, you know, at my worst, I might order takeaway twice a week or something like that. And what he does is talks about the impact over time of all of those small decisions we make, whether they're good for us or they don't serve us. And it, it it's become almost a standard that I recommend to clients. So it's The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And when, how long ago was it you first read that? three years ago and is it the sort of book that you've come back to a couple of times because it was so impactful definitely definitely Uh, and and I think every time so I don't often I don't reread fiction books and things Mm. like that but but books that really make an impact on me uh like The Slight Edge and there's a a few others uh that I really love uh I, I keep I keep mm. on the bookshelf and I will go back and I might not read mm. the whole thing but I'll go back and read yeah. a chapter or I'll see a snippet somewhere and go oh I'd love to revisit that and I always read it with mm. different eyes and get either something consolidated or something mm. new out of it, it. it's it's fascinating this I mean I, I like you I read a lot and I've there's been many books I've read more than once and it I, I find it fascinating that you know, I'll read a book, say, three years ago, and then I'll come back to it again two years later, and I'll find a, a passage or a sentence or even a paragraph, and I say, I don't remember this at all. And, and I've just come to the conclusion it's because I'm in a different place from where I was two or three years ago or five years ago, whatever it was, and it didn't really resonate with me then, and now it really does resonate. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the the transformation for me, my personal transformation, when I look back over the last two years of, you know, who I was at the start of my entrepreneurial journey and who I am now, I often say to people, when I, when I say I'm barely recognisable, Kim's still there. Kim's still all there and all that sort of thing. But it's like I barely recognise myself. I just, it, it's, it's, a, it's humbling that, looking back and thinking wow I can't believe this I'm this person that that did all this and and it gives me confidence and I feel excited about the future even though I don't know quite what the plan will be 
you know, I don't have a five-year plan um, or anything like that because I think so much changes. I have some bigger visions about what I want mm. out of my life, but but that's what makes this so exciting. Mm, well, to, to finish, Kim, have you got? Is there a quotation that you particularly like? Uh, yes, there is. It's actually something that was sent to me by my mum mm. uh, about two years ago, and it really encapsulates. I think the discussion she and I have always had, and particularly now I've become an entrepreneur. So let me read it to you. It's, it's a Rudyard Kipling mm. quote. The individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. If you try it, you will be lonely often and sometimes frightened, but no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning mm. yourself. Why, why do you think that speaks to you so much? Many of the conversations I had with with mum growing up were, particularly in my career, is that I always seemed to want something different or more, or I, I was just never satisfied. I think, you know, I drove myself really hard, and I remember, you know, sometimes, you know, crying over something or going to mum and saying. Why can't I just settle like other other people seem so content and I always seem to want more what you know and it you know drives me crazy and sometimes it hurts sometimes it's just frightening you know why do I always have to want more or be different and stuff like that now, you know I don't remember the specific thing she said but she always made me feel like that she knew it was tough and but go forward sort of thing. And when she sent me this, uh, I just, I read it and I went, that is at the heart of every conversation we've had. And and I now know what the privilege of owning yourself is. And I agree completely that no price is too high to pay for that. Well, Kim, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you for, for the last hour. So thank, thank you for your time. And um, yeah, really enjoyed that. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Tony. Next week is episode 23 with Timothy Moser, and he's the creator of Master of Memory, a place where it's a website and a, and a coaching service, and he's written some books around learning how to learn. And he's got quite a unique way of teaching Spanish, which helps you become far more fluent uh, so he starts off with the main words that you that are really needed to actually get by if you're in Spain or a Spanish-speaking country. And so that those words really become ingrained before you start to sort of widen your vocabulary. So that's next week with Timothy Moser. We're going to learn a lot more about learning how to learn memory techniques and also a bit of uh, learning how to learn Spanish specifically. So that's next week's episode. Hope you've enjoyed uh, today's show with Kim. If you do like this episode and if you know anyone who gets who could get some real value from this, why not share the episode with them? And if you like the show, please do subscribe, leave a review and I hope you have a great week.